If you can, uh, please rise um, for the reading of God's word. We're looking at Luke 14, 12 through 24. The writers of the Old New Testament affirmed that the scriptures are the very word of God. And so what I'm about to read to you right now is God's word. It is God's word for you this morning to hear. And so please listen and receive God's word to you this very moment this morning. Luke 14, verses 12 through 24. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many and at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say, the, to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me to be excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and the blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Please be seated. Thank you so much, Andy. Every year, a quick search, uh, Google search or whatever search engine you use nowadays, will, uh, around the holidays, if you search, will lead you to all sorts of articles about how to survive the family holidays. Maybe you've had a tense conversation or a, uh, a topic that is taboo in your family or long-term family dilemmas. Let's be honest, we've all had that tense Thanksgiving dinner or something like that. Or maybe you're, you're, not, you're not looking forward to Easter. And uh, today's passage really deals with a tense conversation that happens, and it's a continuation of where we've been in Luke uh, chapter 14. Uh, 
consider this context. So in the very beginning, a section where Pastor Austin has already dealt with, <clears throat> Jesus heals on the Sabbath after asking them directly, you know, is it okay for me to do this on the Sabbath? And they don't answer him. Then he asks them another direct question and they can't or won't answer him. Uh, then he tells a parable against them and, you know, calls, calls them out. Now he says uh, some more words directly to the host and calls him out for what he's doing. And then he concludes his remarks by excluding a bunch of people who thought they were in, but now aren't. And so I say that context to you because it was tense and it was difficult. And for me, whenever Jesus is, is attacking the religious establishment of the day, I want to pay great attention to that because in many ways, we are the religious establishment of the day. And I want to heed his words because uh, he's always giving us what kind of lessons can we, can we learn? How can I respond instead of the way, you know, the Pharisees and religious leaders responded, but I can respond with grace and mercy and humility uh, and, and learn from that lesson. What are the lessons that we have for our church today? That's what we want to talk through. So Jesus is a gentleman here, though, isn't he? He doesn't force us or coerce us into belief into submission to him, but he gently and graciously offers love and mercy and forgiveness to those in need. His storehouses are full and uh, he's ready to give. And so we can be ready to receive. So Jesus throughout the gospels interacted differently with different people, didn't he? And so we're going to look at two movements through today's passage on how did Jesus interact with different groups and then what did we learn? And so the first movement looks at the way Jesus rebuked those who believed they were secure. So again, Jesus rebuked those who believed they were secure. Last week, Pastor Austin talked a little bit about how there was no place for humility in the Greco-Roman world. Well, there's certainly no place in that same world for those who were physically or mentally incapacitated. Even in Israel, socializing with someone of a lower social class could risk your social standing in the community. And so there are many people that were just excluded from normal social life, including those that are listed here. You know, he talks about the, in verse 13, he talks about the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Some couldn't even participate in priestly duties. Some sects of, uh, of the Israelite people excluded them from communal meals, and so therefore from society and from their neighborhood. In many ways, they were the untouchables in a society. And it made me ask the question to myself, who are the untouchables in our neighborhood? If you're going to go around, who, you know, would you be like, I'm not going to spend time with that person, or I'm hoping I am not going to run into that type of person at the grocery store? Is it special needs people? Is it the elderly? Is it 
you know, immigrants or minorities. And like, clearly this should not be, but I think it's helpful for you to process and, and to think. The Pharisees, uh, the, those religious teachers, they wanted to keep the law at all costs. That's a good thing. Except they did it by treating others with some contempt, and so, which is clearly a bad thing. And so trying to stay true to their principles, which is good. However, they actually became guilty of the second commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And so what happens was sometimes they get so caught up with the, the law and the letter of the law that they forget to love people. And so here in the, in the beginning is that serving those who serve you back is really kind of the issue that the text is dealing with. Uh, if you're only dealing with a known commodity, it brings a sense of comfort and a, a sense of control, doesn't it? Because like, you know, if I do X, I'm going to receive X in return. And so we live our lives in those ways, except any giving with the knowledge of return isn't sacrifice, is it? It's just called investment. And so we're not called to invest, we're called to give. And that's what Jesus is encouraging him. He says, you know, don't, don't give in such a way that other people are going to come and say, you know, like, wow, great job. Why don't you come and join my banquet next? But he's saying to give with such an attitude of give in it without expecting anything in return. And so often, you know, you know, we do that because we want more security, more control. We want to understand. We want to, we want to drive the bus. And, and the problem is that control is this fleeting endeavor because that controlling person is really just trying to serve self and not the people around them. Though we can receive, obviously, a level of control and therefore security from the created things that exist in this world, right? Uh, you know, our, our knowledge, where we came from, our possessions, our work ethic, it doesn't ultimately give us what we want. It's because idols promise, but they don't deliver. They promise and don't deliver. And so we need to ask ourselves just those deep questions about what am I really worshiping? What am I about? Deep down in the core of who I am, what am I about and how do I live my life? You see in the passage, verse 17, one of the questions that you, you might ask is, you know, why were there multiple invitations to this banquet? And so in the first century, it was very customary to give multiple invitations. Reason being is because one would be uh, a long time ago, you know, you say like, hey, there's, a, there's this event that I'm putting on, you need to keep that date open. And then when, when, we're, when the event was ready, when all the food was ready, think about like it include, you know, you know, butchering animals and cooking and all of that. And, when, and, and in a world of no refrigeration or anything like that, uh, there was another invitation that would tell them that the banquet is about to begin. It involves food and fresh food. And so the party starts when the food is ready. Isn't that, that's a, that's a good lesson for us. And Jesus is declaring that everything's ready. Like it's ready. Come to me. Come to Jesus. Listen to me and follow after me. He's saying that, you know, some people, even if you look at verse 15, where 
You have this other guy. So imagine how tense of a situation is. And then, and then like no one's responding to Jesus. No one's listening to him. And I imagine just like someone's trying to like throw in a comment to break the, break the ice. And he says this. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus tells this parable, you know, and he's like, I think you missed it. And the reason that this guy specifically missed it is because even the way he's saying it is he's saying it's in the future, right? Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Like that's going to happen later. And Jesus is saying, no, like it's now, like the feast has begun, begun. Come to me, come to me. And so we kind of this idea, we talk about the inaugurated kingdom of God, right? Like when Jesus is able to look at someone and say, like, you know, the kingdom of God is in your midst because they thought that it was future, but it's here. But we're living in this already, but not yet. We've talked about that a lot through, through the gospel of Luke. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the fellowship and the, commu- the communion of saints. And, and so we can't forget that we, what we have now in Christ as we also wait eagerly for the consummation of the kingdom. And so what we do is we can't control, right? We're not called to control things, but we're called to trust in the one who has all control. We trust him and we say, we God, you're going to work this out. I trust you. I know you. I don't need to be about myself I don't need to serve others so that they serve me back. I can actually serve others and expect nothing in return. And so that's really our transition point is that, you know, if you look here, there's all these different expectations and, and they gave excuses and they weren't waiting in eager expectation of the banquet. Imagine that there's an invitation and you're waiting, the day has arrived and then you don't, you don't show up because they were immersed in all their own activities. Doesn't that sound very American, uh, very Avon 2023? One writer said it like this. He said, all three excuses are concerned with the details of commercial and family life and fit in with the teaching of Jesus uh, regarding the danger of letting love of possessions or domestic ties interfere with total commitment to the call of discipleship. We need to hear that because we get so, so distracted. The parable here is not specifically about whether the excuses, you see, you know, they, it says in verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. And the parable is not about whether the excuses are valid. It's that they made excuses. It's that you know, and, and if you're wondering, no, if you like really study through all these excuses, they weren't good excuses. Uh, it, it wasn't a, a proper excuse for them to be making. And so, and so what Jesus really is saying through this is that, you know, heaven is going to be filled, just not with who you expect, Pharisees. He's going to allow other people in that, that the, the Pharisees would be like, no, like this, that would never happen. And again, I want to ask myself the, the, the tough questions and, and really ponder the text. And, and so I wonder what are the excuses that I would give today? And you can ask yourself, what are the excuses that you would give? 
Are you overly jealous for your own time and what you want? Or are you willing to give and willing to sacrifice and surrender? And we live in a culture that just uh, has radical individualism. And we say that we don't need what God is offering because what I have is better. And what I'm doing is more important. And that for that, we need to repent. Oftentimes, security and affluence, of which, you know, we, we live in this affluent society, it really can multiply our excuses, can't it? And uh, we have to be vigilant in this area. You know, those who don't have a lot often can give less excuses because they're like, this is... These are my options. And we live in a world that has like lots of options. And so you have to decide, you know, am I going to make Jesus the very center and follow after him? Or am I going to, you know, do these other things and live in these other ways and, and, uh, and be concerned with other things? I'll take, serious, I'll take God seriously. I just won't do it today. And throughout this, uh, this gospel, even as we've been studying over the last number of, of weeks, you know, the door to the kingdom of God is one day going to be shut. Right now, it's open. Come to Jesus. Know him. Follow after him. For those of you who don't know Jesus, like, learn about Jesus because there's nothing greater in this world that you can follow after. But but at some point in the future, the door will be shut, and so, and the invitation will be closed. Excuses that we all give are usually pretty okay, right? I mean, a friend gives you an excuse, it's usually okay, and yet what happens is that they're just not, they're okay things, they're just not the primary things and the most important things. We think our plans are better. What would keep you from the banquet? What would keep you? How would you process that? Their security, um, you know, if you look, their control, their security often was in their uh, confidence in their religion. Like I said, they wanted to keep the law. And so you might imagine when Jesus is there and this tense dinner conversation, I wonder if there is a bunch of people there who were saying something along the lines of like, how could he even say something like this? Like, who is this guy? What's going on? And so, again, we have to examine ourselves because we don't want to miss what God is doing. We don't want to miss the kingdom of God. We're not guaranteed a spot in the kingdom based upon our works or our family, family dynamics or our grandparents or our parents' faith, some kind of religious ritual that you've done or a financial gift. Who does Jesus say is in the kingdom of God? And it's interesting, you know, he's saying... Those who are, he's like, invite, invite the people. Some people are going to refuse. And he says, go out and invite those who you never would have thought were coming. The poor and the crippled and the blind and the lime. He mentions that in both sections. And so when we really stop seeing ourselves and our excuses or what we can gain, we begin to see who God is and, and the people around us. And so we can, we can pray. We can say, God, like, teach us about this. The only one in the story, as we read the Gospels, that really could have demanded worship, could have demanded these things, 
what he, what he chose instead was to give lavishly. He gave of himself lavishly, and that's the Lord Jesus. And so that really comes, brings us to our second movement in the, in the text is that Jesus served those who couldn't give anything in return. He served those who couldn't give anything in return. There is no one who loved the poor and the powerless like Jesus. We, you know, as, as us, we at least, we like to be with people who we would at least consider our equals, if not maybe a little bit more. And, and there really are some in, in church history that modeled this, the, you know, the desert fathers and those who would go out serving the poorest of the poor. I think of Mother Teresa in the 40s and 50s and, and, and beyond who, would, who chose to go and serve the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, you know, holding the hands of those who were starving to death or dying of tuberculosis or whatever it might be, washing wounds. And you think like, wow, like that's really unbelievable. And how, do, how, how would we even do something like that? Mother Teresa herself said this. She said, if we have no peace, it's because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. The, the playing field is much more even than we might think. John Green said this. He said, there is no them. There are only facets of us. Isn't that true? And I've learned so much about, about life and about who God is, about serving uh, when I've served people that could never serve me back. If you've never read the book Les Mis, which maybe you shouldn't because it's like super duper duper long. But uh, read, read the first like 40 pages. Just get it from the library and read 40 pages because it's, it's, the beginning is very, very amazing. And then it might suck you in. But there's a, a, a fictional character who's, who's a, a benevolent priest. And he says this. He says, there's always more misery among the lower classes than there is humanity in the higher and that challenges me. It challenges me to think about what I have and who I am and how am I serving and how concerned with myself am I? Am I willing to care for those who are forgotten? I think sometimes the dying are still a forgotten people today, aren't they? I'm so thankful for our nursing home ministry that regularly goes and cares for people that are, that are hurting you know, our society tends to put uh, people who are of that age, we just, we, we put them away, right? And we don't want to think about it. Who, you know, are you serving that couldn't give you anything in return? And when we say, you know, at Providence, when we say we're for life everywhere, that means that we're for life everywhere. We care about the unborn. We care about the elderly. We care about the sick. We care about the destitute and the hurting. We care for people. And if you think that might be like overly like, wow, that's really like we care for people. Well, yeah. L listen to what the EFCA statement of faith. I, I love even just our, our doctrinal statement, what, what it says. As, as, uh, as members, like this is what we're affirming in our statement of faith, point eight. It says, God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion towards the poor and justice towards 
the oppressed. One of the easiest ways that you could do that is this. Actively put yourself in situations where you're around people that could never repay you. That's as simple as that. You want to know how to change a culture? Actively care for the people around you that could never give anything in return. And seek their well-being and care for them and share the name of Jesus with them. One writer said, said this, he said, Hospitality is generosity when no motive exists besides giving. Just give. I know, you know, often, you know, when we talk about giving, we talk about, well, I mean, can I give? Is that person going to, you know, like squander it? Or how are they going to do it? That's not the central area of this text. But, uh, you know, we also ask questions like, wow, you know, the, the first part seems really harsh. It says, you know, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers, you know, lest they invite you in return. You're like, do I have to cancel my kid's birthday party because I invited my friends? You know, it's like, no kids, you're safe. You know, you still spend time with family. Though I did have uh, a guy after first service, he said, he said, now no one in the church is going to invite anyone to anything. <laughs> you know, okay, don't do that, church. Still care for one another. I won't think it's... I, I, <laughs> after this message, someone's going to come up to you and be like, do you want to come out to, to lunch with me? And, you're, and just, just go, enjoy it, be together. He's, he's not, what Jesus is not saying is don't go be with your people, right? What he's saying is not so much these people, but rather think about these others. Think about the people around us. Sometimes we get so, you know, we got blinders on that we get so focused on ourselves or what we want or the people around us that we just miss those on the outside. Walk with your eyes wide open. And, and, and really, I mean, what role does compassion play in your life? Because I think when we realize our need, our great need, our compassion actually increases, right? We become better evangelists. We, became, we become better Christians, and it becomes natural for us because we realize that we were just mere beggars showing other beggars where to find bread, right? The gospel transforms that inclination that we have towards self-recognition and self-importance, and instead it draws us to worship the God who created us. Worship, as we, as we sing, as we proclaim his word, as we read his word, you know, all these things, ultimately it's with, with God at the center, and then we're able to say, like, it's not about me. Worship is one of those places that I love because it's saying, it's not about me. I'm singing to the God of creation, and I can worship him. Our excuses cease when we recognize our great need for Jesus and cling to him. And so you look, you know, why, why these people specifically? Why the poor and the lame and the crippled and the blind? And the text answers us here in verse 14. He says, because they cannot repay you, for you will re be repaid at the resurrection of the just you have a choice, the text seems to, to, to declare, you have a choice of whether or not you can be repaid now or later. Whether or not you desire for this kind of reciprocal sort of, I serve you, you serve me, we get our, our 
repayment in this life, or you say, I'm going to give freely to those who could never, ever repay me back, and it's actually, I'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And I just, just think of the story, just as a point of illustration, I don't think it's always appropriate to be like, oh, where am I in this story? But you know, it's like, but, but just for a moment, who, who are we in the story? You know, are we, uh, are we the Pharisees and we're like looking at Jesus and we're being like, ha, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, how, what are you even saying? You know, later in the story, are we the, are we the servants going out to take the message possibly? You know, um, are we this other guy who, you know, is in the story? Or maybe are we just the, the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind? And when we acknowledge that we have great need, he brings us great joy and great blessing because of it. There's an end that's coming. And uh, as we move closer in to the, you know, to the crucifixion, this is the last time that Jesus dines with a Pharisee in the book of Luke. You kind of wonder, you know, did he, I mean, he, he laid it out for them. And then Luke doesn't mention anymore. He, he mentions some, some issues with them, but not, not dinner anymore. He's out. He's on the out crowd now. There's times where I want to be on the out crowd because I want to be with Jesus. So the other question is, you know, are we, are we those servants that get to take the message he tells them in verse 21, you know, he says, go into the streets and alleys and bring in the outcasts. We get to be outcasts with him. So you know, we possibly saying that we're emissaries of heaven, taking the good news. We get, I love to think about church as this place where it's an embassy of heaven. It's like heaven on earth. And then we get to go out and share this good news with the people. I was really convicted by this word, this word here, if you look at verse 23, where, he's, where as the master is telling the servants to take the, take the message of the banquet out, he says, go out to the highways and hedges and compel the people. Don't delay. Don't delay. Even if the original invitees to the banquet don't come to the banquet, guess what? The banquet is still happening. It's still going to happen. And Jesus' banquet is large, He's got plenty of room, and he's saying, come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So probably the harshest kind of word comes at the very end in verse 24. It's Jesus' really last words of this, I think the specific context here of, of the banquet at the Pharisee's house. And he looks at them and he says, I tell you, Verse 24, I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. And so I think it's helpful for us to understand this, not just in the, in the context of the parable, but it seems like Jesus is using this as a teaching to say, like, you missed it, and I'm going to be inviting these other people in. Listen to what, what Jesus says in other passages. You don't need to flip there, but I'm going to flip over to Matthew chapter 21 as Jesus kind of picks up on this theme also in verse 43. He says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. 
And so there is a time where you could miss the story. And Jesus is saying, like, you know, you, know, I, you missed it. It's going to be taken away from you and given to another. Or in what I like to call, you know, Luke part two, which is the book of Acts, uh, both written by, uh, by him, Luke, or sorry, Acts 13, verse 46. This is what Paul says. He says, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge for yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And so, really, it's a, it's, it's a glory that, um, that God is doing through this message. And he's saying, these people have missed it, but, I'm gonna, but, my, but my banquet is open, and we can come to him. They missed it. They were concerned for themselves. They were holding on to what they had missed, but they had missed the very kingdom of God right there. One day he's going to look at your life and he's going to say, what did you do with Jesus? I think that's actually one of the best ways to think about the future. What did you do with Jesus? Who's Jesus in your life? For those of you who have followed him and you're, you're walking with the Lord Jesus, when you hear a message like this, I, I, I encourage you to continue with your generous giving. Keep up. Keep your eyes open. And to those of you who haven't followed Jesus, please hear what I'm saying is that he's poured out this great love and mercy and his banquet is open. And so let's acknowledge our need and surrender to him. And so if, you're, if you've never done that and you're like, how do I even begin that process? What you can do is you can talk to a friend and you can say, I'd, I'd like to talk about Jesus with you. It's that simple. Because you can surrender to the Lord God. And maybe if you are a follower of Jesus and you can say, I, I'm going to talk to the people around me today about who God is and who, who Jesus is. And so if you're, this might be awkward to you, but don't let it be awkward. If you're a member, just raise your hand really quick. Perfect. Love it. If you want to know more about Jesus, you grab one of those people that you saw a hand around you and you just tell them. You say, I'd like to know more about Jesus. Can we talk about him? And then I encourage you today at lunch, today at your dinner table, talk to your friends and your, and your neighbors and your family and say, let's talk about Jesus today because he is the one who's calling us to this banquet. He's the one that's calling us into, into conversation, into, into care for us to surrender to him and live our lives for him. So why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is just a joy to know that you have sent your Son, Jesus the Messiah, Lord, to live a perfect life, to die in our place, and then on the third day, victoriously rise from the grave. Even as we talked through the catechism today, God, we thank you for the substitutionary atonement, which means that you have taken our sin and bore it at the cross, and we can take your righteousness and live for you. So thank you so very much 
for who you are. God, I pray for, our, for those of, uh, who are following after you that they would Lord, see people with your eyes and serve those who could never serve and never pay them back. God, I pray for those who don't know you that they would know that the, the banquet is open and that they can acknowledge their need and surrender to you. And so, God, we thank you for who you are, and we ask all of this in your precious name. Amen.